This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, are you feeling out of control? Do you feel helpless about your day-to-day life? This week, we tell you how to cope and collaborate for your best life in veterinary medicine. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're tackling the topic of control and helplessness, but more importantly, about collaborating with our colleagues so that we can get through our days with a little more peace and happiness. Before we get into all of that, as always, I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, this conversation sort of started with Cindy and she was talking to us about, you know, hey, sometimes our colleagues aren't maybe collaborating within the clinic on making decisions, whether it's regarding standards of care or policies or, or anything. And then this sort of expanded, right, Cindy, into this, wait a second, you know, or how much control do we really have? So we go back and we listen to the podcast ourselves. And I'll tell you, it's completely different listening to the podcast than recording the podcast because we have a chance to reflect and listen more deeply to the things that we talked about. And Becky especially was highlighting in our work-life balance episode how frustrating it can be to not feel like you have control over your own work-life balance. And it just got me thinking about how we make decisions in the practice and how often we really work together as a team to make those decisions and how a lot of the frustration that we experience in practice can come from a feeling of not having control over our clients, our cases, um, maybe the new trends that are emerging in medicine. Um, So something I wanted to dive into a little bit more. So when you guys first start thinking about change and the and control and the things that you feel like maybe you haven't had the control you've wanted to in veterinary medicine what comes to mind for you guys well you know cindy i think for me the the biggest feeling of helplessness that probably most of our colleagues experience is no control over their schedule or even how they do things, right? I mean, so Becky, like technicians are told, this is how you will do whatever. You will set up the packs this way. You will do it. You will mop the floor at this time, right? And there's that feeling of, of I don't have any say in my day-to-day life. Is that true? I think in a lot of ways it it can be. And it's part of seeking out the culture where you feel the most at home and where it does fit your needs the best. But for support staff, I think there's a whole nother side to feeling a little out of control and helpless. And maybe from you guys' point of view as the veterinarians, but I think as a whole in veterinary medicine, there might be an overreaching feeling of a loss of control. Well, Cindy, again, as an associate veterinarian, do you feel like your bosses imposing their will on you. Like, you know, like this is how you will treat a, t- a case of rhinitis. And if a dog comes in with vomiting, these are the four tests that you must do. I mean, does that ever enter into your mental calculus for how you approach a patient? You know, and so I, I think it's interesting, especially as I talked about in our favorite episodes podcast, you know, Becky highlighted how frustrating it can be for the team if across the board veterinarians have different recommendations. Right. I'm, I'm lucky. I don't think I feel like our practice owner or managers really impose anything on us, but I recognize that it definitely makes things easier if we're on the same page. And and sometimes I do feel pressure that, okay, do we have to have a longer discussion about just how important ticks are here in our particular area. You know, out in the Midwest, we're not in a Lyme endemic area, unlike I was when I was in Northern Virginia. So so sometimes we have to have longer discussions. Um, one thing that when I think about having control or feeling like you have at least an input, because sometimes you're not necessarily going to have your say 
be the final answer, but sometimes it can help just to feel like you were able to contribute. Yes. I mean, how often do you guys feel like you've been in practices where there was discussion or there were right. questions being asked, whether it was about protocols or cases or schedules? Well, I think, I mean, you've hit on one of the most important areas for support staff in feeling included is that exactly it. And being in a clinic where you have the ability to feel a part of the decisions that are being made, whether they're about patients or care or schedules or even just the products that you're ordering. When we worry about technicians and longevity and losing technicians in the industry, I think including them is one of the most important things. Well, I, I know that some of our listeners are familiar, you know, I, I've talked about this for years, written a lot of articles about shared decision making. And, you know, Cindy, you nailed this during our pre-call, you know, this collaborative decision making. And, and I guess one of the most important questions that you should ask yourself if you're listening today is that do you as a team collaborate on the big decisions? And, you know, Cindy, maybe give some of the examples that we were talking about earlier about the big decisions that maybe you should be asking your team what their opinion is. Yeah. And I, I think some of those really include just what are your values as a team? Like what brings you to the table every every day? Um, there was a great lecture that uh, Sanani Ratnayaka, a wonderful veterinary technician gave, where she talked about sitting everybody down and just asking, you know, why did you get into this field? What what puts your heart into this? And, and making sure that people can reflect those values in their day-to-day work. Um, you know, talking about what kind of behavior is and isn't acceptable, both in the team members, in the doctors, in the clients, so that people know what to expect of each other. So there's less drama surrounding, was that polite? Was that not polite? Was that okay? Was that not okay? Right. So Becky, let's say that someone does sit you down as a team and they'd say, hey, how do you guys feel? And what if you're in the minority? What if you're the dissenting opinion? So everybody is going in this other direction. How does that make you feel? And do you have any advice on how to cope with that? Because that's going to happen. <laughs> it's the story of my life, but you know, that, it's okay. And, and again, and I know I sound like a broken record, uh, but it comes down to your clinic culture, right? Do you create a safe place for people to feel that they can be the only one who has the opinion that differs and that they can still voice that? And can we find a compromise? Can we find a solution? Can we talk about the why? Can we talk about why we're doing it the way that we are instead of just this is how we're doing it no matter what? Um, honestly, it's it's one of the number one reasons as technicians, I think we go and seek formal education because what we know is in this country, you don't need formal education to do my job in most states. But we do it because we want to know the why. We want to know the reasoning behind it. And so for our personality types just in general, I think when, when you become part of that collaborative decision, even if it's a matter of your, your opinion is not the one everyone's going with, when we talk about why that reason is, you know, we can become comfortable with it and still feel respected. Well, Cindy, this leads me to another important point about the feeling of control, the feeling of collaborating with colleagues, and that is control sometimes is confused with getting your way, right? right. And right. we're not actually saying that you're seeking to get your way all the time, we're, we're actually transcending that, right? Yeah. And, and the big question that that discussion just made me think about is, you know, do you feel like you were heard? Do you feel right. like you were listened to? Do you feel like your concerns were taken into account? And I, I wonder in your experiences, what has helped make you feel like your, your concerns were heard? I mean, for me, a lot of it's just 
reflexive listening. So somebody saying like, oh, I can see why you would feel that way. At least feeling like my concerns are not crazy. Right, right. And I think sometimes we really haven't considered and thought about our opinions and attitudes towards certain things. So sometimes just the act, as you say, of talking through it, of being heard, can help you clarify your own beliefs. And and, and again, I, I'm there are certain things that are just are non-negotiable. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I mean, you know, like for example, we talked about declawing uh, with Margie Shirk. And you know, you may be in a setting where you just have to walk away. So there may be things that that are non-negotiable. But Becky, most of the stuff that kind of makes us feel like we're out of control, it really isn't a big deal, is it? No, I, I don't think it really is. But I think it's just human nature that the smaller things weigh on us bigger when the big picture is we don't feel heard. To feel in control, I think we're all in agreement that you need to feel like you're heard. Give us some tips on like how can you make that happen in your clinic? Yeah, so at, at least for me, and you know, again, even reflecting on this question, I think all of us could sit down and say, how can I do this better? Because I think this is one of those things where we can probably always be improving. Um, so I'd love to sit down with my team and say, hey, yeah, how can how can I do this better? One thing I try and do modeled on the, the Mayo Clinic is when we're sitting down and working on a case and we're working through a treatment plan, just as I'm putting together an estimate, sitting down with my team and saying, hey guys, what am I forgetting? Or is there anything I'm forgetting? And just you know, asking their opinion, just asking them whether they care. I think, Becky, you may have talked about uh, in the past, or I've heard other veterinarians talk about too, you know, asking somebody what their their thoughts or their interpretation is, you know, recognizing them for their expertise. Um, there's an awesome scale I saw recently that that was a scale of veterinary technician autonomy. And so it talked about, you know, to what degree are you leveraging the skills that your technicians have and and kind of trying to move yourself a little bit further up that scale, I think, is something we can do, too. Oh, I, I love that. And and I would like to caution, you know, there, there's a difference between like sitting down with a case and say, am I missing something or what's your interpretation of this and, and setting the vision. Now, I do believe that vision and mission typically come from the top. So your leadership should be guiding you in the direction that I think that you want to go in. So again, this gets back to those those big core values that we keep talking about. And, and you want to align yourself with the clinic that you feel most comfortable with. But I think where people feel out of control, Cindy, is again, that day-to-day minutia. The, well, we always know we have to put the pack over here or, oh, we always do that first. You know, how can people work within those constructs to make it, you know, feel like it's more personal and that they're doing things their own way. Well, and I'm interested, especially to hear from Becky is like, which of those minutia (laughs) matter most to you? Cause like, I'll be honest, like when I was a veterinary assistant, I could care less. Like I I walked in the door and I was like, Oh, this is the way things are done when it came to wrapping packs. So that didn't really matter to me as much, but yeah, I'm curious to hear which minutia is most important to you. Yeah. I think it's funny. At the end of the day, I think this is an important thing for management and people individually as a whole to just think about picking your battles. Um, I know that in my experience in management, sometimes there are things where I'm like, look, it's just because of my own personal preference and needs that the tape be on this side and stack this direction. And I'm sorry if that seems obnoxious, but it just it just really needs to be that way. That's how I want it. I can't give you a good explanation um, because this is the thing that's important to me. But then to balance that, I have to be able to let that other little thing go that is important to somebody else. And, and that's just part of being a team and working together as people. 
you know, um, part of it is efficiency. But as, as veterinary technicians, let me just tell you, we deal with this in support staff in general. We deal with this uh, a thousand times a day from the five veterinarians you work with who all want their scalpel placed a different angle or a different place. And right. one veterinarian likes a pack wrapped one way and one wants it another way. So part of this at the same time, like I've always said, goes back to having policies that are one way and getting but everybody on the same page because then your support staff isn't dealing with minutia from a thousand different angles from five different veterinarians. And Sydney, one of the areas that we always found the minutia, the sticking points was the, around the schedule. And we really took great pains to make sure that we worked with our team members to get the schedule that they felt most comfortable with. But have you encountered that sort of when I show up to work and when I get to go home, that that's the really the feeling of helplessness that most associates and techs, you know, sort of encounter? Yeah. And I know for me personally, I often felt like that was what I was least in control of, um, especially right. as a new graduate. I think that it was hard for me to understand what cases I couldn't couldn't say no to. Um, I felt like everything I should try and see, even honestly, some things that probably I should have immediately referred to the emergency room, but they walked in the door and they were there and I right, <laughs> had to see right. them. So um, yeah, I, I, and the amount of paperwork to do, the amount of you know just staying late. I'm not sure my team always knows how late I'm there. And again, I, I've talked about before, I try not to make myself a martyr for that, but you know, I... <laughs> I wonder if sometimes part of it is feeling like we also get recognition for for what we are doing and the ways that we are trying to help collaborate and work with each other. Well, Cindy, let me spin it slightly differently. With the advent of corporatized medicine, we are seeing, I would argue, less and less control over many of the tenets of medicine. And and yet, I hear within the the halls of, of corporate practices that their veterinarians actually like this, that they actually like sort of the, you know, being told what to do or whatever, that some of these vets feel like it makes their job easier. They have more clarity. You know, I mean, do you also think there might be another side to this story where actually our staff want less control so that they know exactly what the rules are and how to do that? Well, and I think Becky's been pointing that out, that it can be really helpful for our teams to kind of know what what the protocol is, and it can simplify things. I think the times that I've heard kind of the the story from corporate practices that has been most compelling is when the recommendations that are coming through are evidence-based. And if everybody can get behind the why, as Becky so wisely pointed out, that, you know, why are we doing this? So we're doing this because the data suggests that this is best medicine. I I think that makes it a little bit easier to get behind because then I can say, well, my choice is, my control is, agreeing to the why we are doing this. And and Becky, I think one of the things that many of the larger corporate practices are doing very well is fostering this sense of collaborative decision-making. And I I know that you've spoken about this a lot, that many times technicians feel more empowered in these settings. They feel like they have more vertical opportunities to, you know, to get promotions and take on additional responsibilities. So again, by removing some tenets of control, are these corporate practices actually getting other aspects really, really right? Yeah, I do think so. And and I have to say, uh, and I might be in trouble for it, but some of these policies are, are maybe being written by non-veterinary professionals on that corporate level that say, no, we think it's perfectly fine that the support staff member fills this role or has, you know, this decision-making power. 
And this level of autonomy within the clinic, um, maybe they're not veterinary background. And that's been beneficial, I think, for veterinary support staff and in elevating them through through the levels. And I, I think that's a really powerful thing. I know, for example, it with working like with the ASPCA, we have these protocols and procedures and it is incredibly empowering because you you get the ability to go out there and do your job and not have to question what is or isn't allowed. And at the same time, you're being utilized. And we know that's one of the biggest problems with technicians is feeling not utilized. So um, this is a great area for, for clinics to make sure they're incorporating their support staff, uh, all their support staff front to back office. And it sounds to me like part of the issue And one of the ways that that's helping is sometimes you feel out of control because someone else won't give up the control that they have. Right. Is is that fair? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And Cindy, you sound like you've just taken off in a jet fighter plane, but I know, in case you're wondering today, we're Mm -hmm. actually all across the nation. I'm on the West Coast. Cindy's in the heartland. Becky's back east. So we apologize for the jet fighter sounds in the background. But but Cindy, uh, Becky brings up a really, really interesting point. And that is, have veterinarians been holding the profession back by keeping control, right? By not allowing their vet techs and their associates to be more engaged. And are the corporate entities getting certain things right because they're actually removed from the profession and they're saying, why, why would you guys do it that way? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think so. And I'll be honest, I got served a little bit of humble pie during some of our dermatology podcasts where I'm like, no, I, I do need to be letting my team do more of our dermatology cytologies. And that's been something I love and something that's been hard for me to let go of. And, and I feel like in veterinary school, that's not something they teach us, which is you know, how to train your team members and how to feel confident in their skills and how to, in some ways, just, you know, make sure that your team's getting, getting it right. Cause I I felt like sometimes when I first got out into practice, the results that some of my team members would come up with were, were discordant with the results that I would get, say, if I did an ear cytology. So, so I feel like there is room for us to grow and learn in terms of what can we let go of and and be okay with it? Well, and Cindy, that is a perfect segue because what I'd like to sort of wrap up our conversation today about is how can you retain that feeling of control in the present? Because, you know, like, like there's a lot of big issues out there. You've got to sit down, work with teams, you know, be aligned with a mission and vision, all that sort of stuff. That's the big picture, high level stuff. But when that emergency walks in at 4.45 p.m., Becky, how do you feel like you've got some control and how do you keep it together? You know, I think some of it is resolving to embracing a lack of control and saying that when you work in medicine, you will not be able to control what happens in 445 emergencies are going to happen. And some of the control that you can experience around you is within you. And so you have the power to control how you respond and how you react in that moment. And just saying... I'm going to freak out about this and be stressed out or saying this is part of it. And this animal needs as much help as an animal that shows up here at 9 a.m. And there's no reason that time should make any difference with it. And, um, you know, knowing when overall your clinic respects the hours within you normally working, then a 445 uh, emergency is not the end of the world. So it just doesn't need to be when the bigger picture is better. Um, But I think a lot of it is how we respond. So, you know, how do we respond? And again, just to reiterate, if the clinic has a protocol at 445, a hit by car comes through the door, you stabilize it and ship it to the ER or everyone stays and handles it. There should be something in place. Part of that lack of control is 
now in this moment of of emergency, 10 people are trying to figure out what they're going to do and who's going to stay and how it's going to be handled. Great. I love that. I love that idea that you can control your reaction. You can control being okay with the lack of control. I think that's, that's just genius. Um, This makes me think a little bit too, just about our own frustrations with the lack of control and how often are our clients feeling a lack of control and can yeah. we be compassionate to that? Or can we create situations where they feel like they have a little bit more control so they have better experiences with us? You know, and it's such an important thing to remember, uh, always from the client perspective, you're exactly right. It's a huge lack of control for them in the moment. And especially when we talk about those emergencies, um, you know, they, they're they they're worried about their pet. Most of the time they're worried about the financial situation and they had something else going on in that moment. I can't tell you how many emergency shifts I've worked where, you know, they're like, I have my in-laws are at my house. There's dinners in the oven. I can't be doing this right now. And and then I think that's the same important thing to remember about our coworkers as well. We all have stuff going on. We don't know every aspect of everybody's life and building trust and building communication um, and, and having that good culture keeps these moments under control. Yeah, years ago, I wrote this uh, piece about emergencies and this whole 445, you know, vomiting dog scenario that we all encounter so frequently. And I remember this line, are we making someone else's tragedy our inconvenience, you know? So trying to put it in perspective, like like Becky was just saying, is that those people that show up at 445 or in the middle of the night at the ER clinic, you know, they didn't choose to be there. Like th- there's probably a million other things they'd rather be doing. And so we can at least show them the respect and decency of having a good attitude. Now, having said that, you know, I go back to the Pareto principle of life. Like I try to get it right about 80% of the time, you know? So, so if I'm on schedule, relatively speaking, 80% of the time, I'm winning. But like Becky said, 20% of the time, 4.45 p.m. or whatever emergencies are just going to happen. Well, Becky, a lot of this conversation about the feeling of helplessness with the schedule and clients walking in, you know, we're talking about general practice, day practice, but it's a little different in the emergency setting, right? Sure. I mean, emergency clinics, specialty clinics, zoo medicine, there's a lot of areas, uh, large animal medicine, there's a lot of areas of medicine that we don't necessarily talk specifically about when we are sort of generalized in our in our topics and our answers when we think about things from mainly a GP standpoint. But, you know, when I consider my support staff, you know, coworkers in the emergency setting, everything there from how busy your day is to sometimes even the doctor you're working with is a variable that you have no control over. Sometimes right. it's relief veterinarians on the weekend. Sometimes you may go to work and see no one all day. Literally, no one walks into your emergency clinic, which is great for the pets of your of your community, right. but not so great for you. And other, other times you have 10 people in the lobby and you have no control over that. We look at like our specialty practice, you know, prayer professionals and, and coworkers. And I think about how they have no control over how medicine was done before their patient gets to them and, you know, how uh, how quickly they get referred to. And there's so many areas that appeal and, and affect our coworkers in these different areas of medicine. Well, and that's a really good point because, you know, I think when we talk about that feeling of control and collaborative decision making, it's going to be context driven, right, Cindy? I mean, it's going to look different in a general practice than maybe in a specialty practice. Yeah. And, and I think that also highlights, Becky, the, the need between practices for collaboration as well, which can be a whole other can of worms. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I had actually been thinking about your quote, that exact quote from the, the work balance uh, episode as well. And I, I like the idea of, okay, maybe you can't control what's going on in the moment, but we can control what we do next. And so right. if we recognize that things have kind of 
gotten out of control, we can decide how to handle that situation the next time. And that I think can be a little bit healing to realize, okay, well, that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. I didn't feel like I had control, but, but what is my next step? Um, and, and where can I go from here? Yeah, so if you're listening today and you're feeling out of control, just take that one millisecond pause and realize that you are in control of how you respond to that situation. So you can, as Becky said, choose to freak out and really make everybody around you even freaked out more than you. Or you can just kind of sit back and go, you know what? This is what I do. This is what I love. Right now, I'm maybe not loving it as much as always, but you know what? I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to help this pet patient that needs me desperately. And if you're in a management position or if you are in a leadership role within your clinic, it's really good to take the time to look around and and see how much decision making each member of the team makes, how much input everyone gets, and what are areas where you could ask for more contribution from your team to make sure that they feel like they're part of the decision making. And I I think in those moments, you may feel emotionally out of control. We can't always control the emotions that we have in that moment. But again, what can we control are our actions. So you may feel angry, frustrated, sad, upset in that moment. And it's always good to develop strategies for handling those emotions, but we can control how we act outwardly. We can control how we respond to the people around us. And and that's our responsibility. Well, guys, I'd kind of like to end the the conversation today on a super high level issue of, of lack of control and the feeling of helplessness. And that is sort of how the world changes around us. Like, you know, we have all these trends that have been slow creeping along for the past 20, 40 years, like the humanization of pets. To us in the veterinary industry, this is no big surprise, but apparently to the media, it's like big news, right? But what we're maybe not accustomed to is how rapidly biotech technology is advancing. And so we're starting to see this creep into our profession, like in the terms of of telemedicine, for example, which is hugely transformative. I mean, this is going to disrupt a lot of how we interact with clients from here on out. So it's it's here. It's going to only ramp up. Uh, there's so many things happening in the pet food space. You know, I mean, that's what I'm doing here for the past couple of years on the West Coast. But, you know, there's all these disruptions. There are veterinarians that are going to wake up in 2019 and be literally blindsided by something. And how do you cope with that? Yeah. And I think when it comes to change, we we fundamentally have a couple of responses available to us, right? So one is to try and resist the change and stop the change from happening. Fight, and unfortunately, fight, that, fight. that that right. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think that's been the default that that many of us conservative folks who like to not change things. And, you know, to be fair, in in veterinary medicine, sometimes we don't have as much data as our our human counterparts. And so I think we try to be conservative because we don't want to change and do something harmful. But um, changes changes comes, the future comes. And so I feel like that's usually futile. So the next thing we can do is we can vent, which a lot of us do. And, and I think for some of us that can still be therapeutic, but I don't think it ends there. Then we've got to decide, okay, what is the next step and what do we actually do about it? So if we can't stop the change from happening, how can we harness it? And I would love to see more folks and more organizations doing that. If I if I finally gotten to that point where I'm ready to embrace the change and to figure out what this means for my life, where do I go? Well, and Becky, your your profession, veterinary technicians, are in the midst of, of a sea change. Literally, over the next couple of years, veterinary technicians could wake up to a very different definition, nomenclature, credentialing requirements. I mean, this whole thing could shift. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a good example of an area where I think a lot of people feel out of control because it's not what 
everyone wants to have happen with credentialing and titling within our our profession. Um, And then there's a lot of people who do want it to go that way. And um, part of it is, I think for me, when I'm resisting change or having a hard time with change in general, I ask myself, why? And and when it comes to the the VNI, the Veterinary Nursing Initiative, you know, I think a lot of people have really good reasons why they're resistant to the title change. For others, it's just, well, I do more than a nurse and I'm more than a nurse and and I know all these species and some some, um, maybe not really embracing excuses, in my opinion. Um, So I think a lot of it is kind of a self-check. Like Dr. Cindy said, first thing, self-check. Why are you so resistant to the change? And and then I think the other thing when it comes uh, specifically to the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, is something that Mark Cushing said, and you know, I, I look forward to having him on the show in the in the near future to talk more about this. But um, you know, he said when you're resistant to this particular situation, the VNI, but I think you can expand it to other areas of your life. Is when you want something to go your way and it's not. What does your victory speech at the end sound like when it does go your way? So when you resist change and you win, what does it look like at the end? Is it just like a I got my way and I told you so and this is best or is there a real true water holding in that argument? And and I think that was pretty insightful, um, not just not just to the VNI, but to things in general, uh, if, if things are happening around you that you, they wish weren't and you wanted them to go a different way, if they went your way, how much different does it really look in the end? Oh, I love that. I love that. And yes, we're so excited to get Mark Cushing on here. Well, if you're listening today, again, you know, even though you feel helpless, you feel like you have no control, the reality is you have a lot more control than maybe you're giving yourself credit for. And I hope that some of this discussion has sparked some ideas. Maybe it'll help you cope or get through your day. Maybe when that emergency comes in or that boss is yelling at you for no good reason, it'll help you just get through that moment a little more peacefully and find that joy in your your work. So you've heard what we had to say. Now we'd love to hear from you and hear your views on the subject. So please reach out to us. We'd we'd love to know what you think about being in control or feeling out of control. And while we're talking about control, we would love for you to go and give us an iTunes review. Well, I know it seems silly, but it, it means so much to us to know that you're out there, you're listening. Give us some ideas of what kind of content you're interested in. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions because we only want to make this podcast better for you, our veterinary colleagues. And while you're there, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, bye. Bye.